Hey, thanks for listening. This is Until All Have Heard from the Far East Broadcasting Company. I'm Wayne Shepherd with Ed Cannon, who is president of the Far East Broadcasting Company, FEBC, yeah. affectionately known. And Ed, we have a very special guest who's going to join us. He's a very dear friend of mine. Frank Gray is with us today. Frank, I first met when I came to FEBC, and he was a man filled with knowledge and experience of the Far East Broadcasting Company going way back into the early days. And uh, Frank, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Um, Thank you for the invitation, Ed. And and Frank comes to us today from England. And where did you say you are today, Frank, in England? Well, I'm near Bristol in the southwest of England. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's um, essentially retired full-time from FEBC, but we still value his input tremendously. But I wanted today to share with you listeners a little bit of the rich history that Frank brings from the very early days of the beginnings of the Far East Broadcasting Company. And Frank, even before that, I thought it might be good for you to introduce just a little bit about how you got involved in mission and some of the uh, uh, involvements that you had that brought you to Far East Broadcasting Company. And I'm just going to shut up and let you tell us a little bit about what what that's all about. You have the floor, Frank. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. Yes, I did have um, a prehistory before I joined FEBC, but um, as I look back, I see it was um, marvelous preparation that God gave me because he put me right there in uh, a rather remote part of Asia in the country of Laos at um, an exciting time during the Vietnam War years. And um, I was out there as a volunteer with voluntary service overseas, and that was in 1969 that I went out there, and I went to work at Lao National Radio, um, and that was training and installing equipment and, and so on, and that was a, a two-year assignment. Um, I'd always had an interest in radio. Um, I used to have a little old radio up in my bedroom and a long wire antenna, and I could tune in shortwave stations. And I remember the first station I tuned in was Voice of the Andes on the 31-meter band, I think it was back then. And uh, that gave me a thrill. Um, And then I heard about FEBC first through a schoolmate, because John Wheatley had been visiting from Manila and uh, was telling the Christians in Britain about this marvelous new venture, Far East Broadcasting Company, and uh, he was recruiting um, support and things like that, and that was in 1959. So uh, I had connections from from way back then. And then uh, I suppose the the most exciting thing about being in Laos, or one of the exciting things, was to be a listener to FEBC and to see the evidence of um, the broadcast, especially among the Hmong people. they were sending people down from the mountains where they lived and uh, saying that we've been listening to Manila and um, we would say we want to become Christians. Can you send someone up here to help us um, turn and become Christians? And so uh, oh, a missionary and a pastor or two would go up with them back to their village and there'd possibly be five, ten, fifteen families all ready to, to believe and um, they would burn their fetishes and all their things, and that would be the equivalent to, to baptism for them. And a village would become Christian. And this was on the receiving end of our shortwave broadcast from Manila. Mm. And um, that made a big impact. And, and not only did they come to faith and cast out the spirits and 
and shake off that uh, terrible influence that they had on their lives. But they also became productive. Um, they got off opium. They started uh, planting cash crops and um, getting uh, – there was a complete transformation um, because of the gospel and the impact it was having in their village. Frank, I have read this story, and I've heard of uh, the part that FEBC has played in this story, the Hmong people. But you were there. You saw it. You you were a witness to all that. Well, yes, and I, I felt enormously privileged to see this, and nobody needed to convince me of um, what radio could do. And this was among uh, a relatively unknown um, tribal group. Um, but they were listening, and um, I used to listen to the English language broadcast from Manila, Morning Coffee and uh, Cowboy Joe and some of those old programs, and <laughs> Harold Saylor. Harold and Saylor, his, yes, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it was a uh, help to me as well. Um, but then I got involved even more when the missionaries asked me if I could help build a recording studio for them, because there were programs being produced in in Laos, and um, or in Thailand, actually, a delegation would have to go down to Thailand to a recording studio there to record the programs to send to Manila. Well, now they wanted to get their own studio, so um, I was involved in the um, setting up a studio in the Bible school, and um, that was where we we started, and that I think was completed in 1971. Um, 1970, and um, it was while I was working on that, it was like God called me. Mm. <laughs> uh, I was doing it in my spare time, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember being flat on my back under the uh, under the table, soldering uh, wires, and, and it's like God put His finger and say, "You, oh. <laughs> I want you to come back and run this," because the missionaries didn't have anybody committed to that work, and um, it seemed that. Um, I was to be that person. I, I didn't know why I was in Laos. I hadn't chosen to go there. I volunteered. It seemed an exciting place to be during the time of the war. And, mm -hmm. um, but now God was saying to me, effectively, you, you're the one to to come back and run this and give it some direction and so on. And so that was um, hugely exciting for me because that answered um, a, a very key question: What comes after? volunteering in, in Laos. What do mm -hmm. I do when I go home? Mm -hmm. And um, and so it was just uh, when I went back in the end of 1970, um, finding out a way I could get back there and um, the um, CNMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, they they worked it out um, that I could go back as a as an associate supported by the International Church in Vientiane. So that's what I did for the next uh, nearly four years. And so you had gone back into Laos then in order to work with FEBC to be building studios and putting programs together? Is that what you were doing, Frank? Not for I was um, under the CNMA, okay. Christian Missionary Alliance. Yes. And um, we were making programs there to send to Manila okay. um, via Clark Air Base. Um, yeah, sure. Sure. And that's where the programs were loaded on shortwave and, and came back yeah. in, into Laos. And um, we also did some work on local stations as well in the English language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, until the communists took over, they came into the coalition government that was formed in 74. And then 75, it was a, a clean sweep as they took over. And, and by that time, I was married and my wife um, and I and our um, 
and Malcolm, our youngest yeah. child, we, we all had to get out. And he never did get back there. He was born in Thailand. Hmm. Um, so it was quite a, an upsetting time. Sure. And we just, in Thailand, we said, well, what do we have? We've got each other. We've got a baby. We've got um, three suitcases, one for each of us. And that was about all we had in the world. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> um, and it was a interesting time to mm -hmm. see how mm -hmm. uh, what god had in mind from that point on sure, sure so what was the next chapter where did you go from there frank well it was god's provision that i'd been um to hong kong the previous year it was only six weeks after henny and i got married in fact and i went to a commun communications workshop in um in castle peak in in hong kong and jim engel and vigo sogard were um the leaders of that and um, I was really taken with what uh, Jim Engel, Dr. James Engel from Wheaton yeah. College Grad School. He was had one of my say. grad school professors. I knew Jim, yeah. Yes. And so um, we hit it off really well. And I was excited by what he'd been teaching because I took that back to Laos and started applying that in what we were trying to do through radio there. Um, but then when we all came out um, a year later, um, and left high and dry in Bangkok, um, it was a case of, well, where do we go from here? Yeah. And so I made contact with uh, Jim. I wrote to him and um, said, is, is it likely that you'll have a place for me in the grad school for communications? And he said, yes, come on over. We'll find a scholarship for you. Really? And so everything began to come together, and um, Henny and baby Malcolm went ahead of me because visas – for Thailand had expired. I followed about six weeks later after visiting refugee camps and so on. And then we all arrived in um, Chicago for Wheaton in September 75 and did um, 17 months there at the grad school in communications with Jim. We just missed each other. I would have been in school in the grad school there just a little bit after that. I was working at Moody at the time. So we just missed each other. Huh. Yeah, we we didn't have all the fancy buildings in those days. It was in, in Buswell Hall, and uh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Now they have a, a wonderful building, and um, but they were good years. Jim said they were among the best years because it was people there studying who had experience in the field and brought real life issues into the discussion. Um, the training in in the classes. So, so that season prepared you for the next step. Yes, um, it, I, I didn't know um, how it would all turn out. Um, in, in, in Laos, people used to say to me, oh, you'll be in Manila one day. And uh, I didn't really know, but it was kind of a prophetic word that somehow there was a, an inevitability that somehow I would end up going to Manila. Um, but we didn't know that at the time. And the, the immediate problem we faced as it came to the end of grad school was all the refugees that had started arriving in North America, which we weren't um, prepared for and the CNMA was not prepared for. But I'd made noises as to what could be done for all the Hmong and the Lao arriving there because nobody there knew the language or how to um, manage them. And so uh, having written this paper on what could be done, um, Dr. King um, wrote to me and said, we'd like you to run it. So um, 
I, I, I made it on the condition that and we could do it from California because that's where FEBC were located. And so I did a joint um, job there uh, working with the refugees on one hand and helping to um, orient and train um, the refugees who were arriving, Lao and Hmong, um, from, from the refugee camps and so that we could start um, sending in programs from from La Mirada or mm-hmm. Whittier, as it was then, mm-hmm. it was just a time so, of moving. So just so our listeners understand, when you refer to Manila, that's where FEBC's large uh, shortwave transmission site is. Still today. Still today. And uh, you would do the programs in the native language, originally from Laos or Thailand, and send them to Manila. And now you're transitioning to having the refugees from those countries who've now come into the United States do programming from La Mirada and still send it through uh, Manila so it can be broadcast into the country. Is that right? Is that a good? Yes, we had um, two or three Lao, and then we had um, John Lee, um, who I knew already from from Laos, and I'd met him in the refugee camp too. And um, uh, it, it was amazing how FEBC came to have him because when we'd finished setting up the Hmong Alliance Church in November 78. Um, He was about to go on to um, study at Bible school because he'd been offered a place in the Cincinnati Bible Institute, I Mm -hmm. think it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I saw this could be be so sad to lose him from um, FEBC and from making Hmong programs because he was obviously a wonderful communicator. Just to see him behind the mic... Uh, was a treat. Um, he was a, a terrific communicator. He could express himself. He was warm-hearted, and he just related to people so wonderfully well. And um, so we prayed together, and he prayed, and, and yes, he felt that um, it would be God's will, it was God's plan that he should join FEBC. Mm. And so we both joined FEBC at the same time mm. um, to do separate jobs and him to do the Hmong language um, programs together with his wife, Pai. Um, and the rest is history. Yeah. Well, this is this is fascinating for me to hear. It really is, uh, Ed and Frank. I I um, I think we should treat this as chapter one with Frank here today, don't you, Ed? No question. We, we, there's more to this story that needs to be told in future podcasts. And Frank, Ed. I hope you'll come back and tell more of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think to whet the appetite of our listeners today, that continuation of the story you've just started, Frank, with John Lynn and Pi. Uh, Pi's still with FEBC today. Huh. and uh, But the remarkable conversion of the Hmong people because of John Lin's work mm-hmm. is, is truly a miracle in and of itself. And so, Frank, we'll invite you to come back for chapter two <laughs> and we'll start and we'll start in with talking yeah. to our audience a little bit about the Hmong conversion. But you know what, Ed, so many things have not changed uh, with FEBC in terms of how it goes about its ministry. Here's here's Frank broadcasting in the local language yeah, through yeah. shortwave in Manila yeah. coming back into the country. That, yeah. that, that hasn't changed, has it? You know, Frank, I was just at the ethnic minority gathering in Chiang Mai a few weeks ago, and mm. the minority language broadcasters who were there, I sat down and had dinner with a young man who's our Lao broadcaster today, and he and his family are now also refugees from Laos because the government found out 
He has a seminary degree, so he's not allowed back in. But the broadcasts are still being produced with a local ethnic uh, Lao person in the native language and being broadcast back in through Manila in the Philippines. Ed, why don't you conclude our conversation with Frank in prayer and just thank the Lord for this history and for the future uh, ministry as the Lord tarries as well. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Lord, we are grateful that uh, there's no accident that you put Frank into Laos through this volunteer program and that he had an interest in radio and that he reached out to a professor at Wheaton to advance his education in Uh, intercultural studies and understanding how we can use broadcasting to reach those people. And then the connection he made by hearing FEBC radio in that country and the realization, Lord, that radio could be a powerful tool to convey your word. Lord, it's no accident that you've shaped these things, that you've brought them together, and that Frank's heart was committed in obedience to you to follow your guidance so that even today— Millions of people are hearing the gospel through the ministry of FEBC and coming to faith in Christ. We thank you for Frank. We thank you for this time we have together, Lord. Until we meet again, we pray in the name of your son. Amen. 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 Frank Gray. Thank you, Frank. Uh, We'll look forward to another conversation soon. Bye-bye. God bless you. Well, Ed, that'll wrap it up for today here on Until All Have Heard. Our producer is Joe Carlson, and thank you for listening. And, and check out more about the Far East Broadcasting Company today at febc.org. This has been a production of the Far East Broadcasting Company. Until All Have Heard.